Good morning, everyone. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at Getwell Church South Haven. Glad that you have joined us for worship this morning, uh, especially if you're our guest today. We're glad that you carved out time to join us. Uh, we are continuing in our series. Actually, today we're wrapping it up on called What the Heart Wants. We've been looking at the heart and how sometimes there are a few things that we settle for that are just deceptions of the desires of what our heart really longs for. We've been looking at these idols and, and contending with what do we do with them. And so uh, God has given us great things in this world to enjoy, but oftentimes what happens is we take those really good things and we place them in the place of God in our hearts and make, uh, make them an ultimate thing when really God is the only one who can do that, right? And so today what we're going to talk about is uh, how do we break free? How do we break up with these idols that we have let set up shop in our heart? And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. But I do want to encourage you, if you haven't been with us before uh, or haven't been here in a couple of weeks or part of this series, I'd love to encourage you to go back online. You can go to youtube.com slash southhaven and you can find the previous messages from this series and a whole bunch of other series. Uh, but we'd love for you to catch up on these uh, this week uh, because this has been just such a good series. Uh, even for me, it's been such a great series to, to wrestle with and to see and to Find out by, by God's power, what are these things that I've allowed to take the place of God in my life? And so the uh, first week of this series, uh, Pastor Jonathan, he uh, encouraged us to ask God uh, to search us and to know us and to point out in us what are those idols that we've placed in our hearts. Sometimes they're things that aren't so obvious to us. Uh, so what were those idols? And then uh, last week, what he encouraged us and challenged us to do was to pray and ask God by his spirit to help us understand and know and see just how dangerous it is to have these idols in our heart. And so what I want us to think and, and discover today is that we can't stop there. It's not enough just to know that, uh, that we have idols. It's not just enough to know that they're dangerous, but we have to take it a step further. We've got to break up with these idols. See, here's the thing is that our hearts, they long and they desire to worship. It's just how we're wired. Everyone loves and longs and desires something or someone. And so what I want us to do, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. We're going to be in Judges chapter 6 this morning. Uh, Judges chapter 6 is in the Old Testament. It's toward the beginning, right after the book of Joshua. But Judges chapter 6, I want us to look at a passage. We're going to see how, uh, what God says for us to do uh, with these idols that are in our lives. And so, Judges chapter 6. Now, if you turn to Judges 6, let's look at the very first words that come uh, in this chapter. And it's this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So what is this evil? Well, in the book of Joshua, the book right before uh, Judges, what we find is God has brought his people to the promised land and they are to take the promised land like it is theirs for the taking. All they have to do is do exactly what he says. And they will win these, these victories, these battles. And y'all, time after time again, they win these fantastic victories over these people that at first they were afraid of, right? You may remember that from Numbers uh, and, and other uh, of the books of the Old Testament. And so what we find is, is that God says, this land is yours for the taking. All you have to do is drive out the pagan nations and not worship their idols. Well, 
By the time the book of Joshua is over, we see that there's rest in the land. The people are enjoying this, but they haven't quite done all that God has told them to do. There's still some of these nations around, and, uh, but you know, they're enjoying life, right? Well, what we find by the time of the period of the judges, which is the next period of time, is that they did not drive out these nations. They did not not intermingle with them. In fact, they've started to intermarry with these people and they've began to take their gods as their gods. It's the very opposite of what God had told them to do. And so if you've ever read through the book of Judges, one thing that you see is that there's this evident cycle that begins to happen. See, the Israelites, they, they find themselves ensnared in this idolatry, in this uh, love of the other gods, of not following what God has said to do. And so they find themselves in sin. What happens is that sin leads them to find themselves in servitude. And what we're going to find in this chapter in particular is that the Midianites uh, are the ones who are oppressing them. Uh, they, they have to hide. They're worried. Uh, they're having to serve this foreign nation. Well, they realize their, their folly, and they cry out to God. They return to him. They say, God, we need help. We need you to save us. Would you please save us? And God, in his goodness and his mercy, he does. He brings one. He brings a deliverer, a judge. And this will be Gideon, one who will come and help the people break free from this oppression. The only problem is, if you move on into the next chapters after Gideon, you find this cycle start right back over. They find themselves ensnared to idols, to the things that are taking place in their heart other than God. And so in Judges, in Judges chapter 6, we find ourselves uh, introduced with this guy named Gideon. Now an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. What I love is, I feel like uh, Gideon is a lot like all of us. The Lord bestows worth upon us before we've even done anything. And the first words are out of our mouth are the same as uh, Gideon here. Whenever the, Lord, the angel of the Lord says, you're going to bring deliverance from Israel. He goes, uh, I'm from the weakest clan in all of Manasseh. The, the, I'm the least in my family. Like, how am I going to do that? Like, there is no way. But what did the Lord tell him? The Lord is with you. Friends, that is how Gideon is going to win this battle because the Lord is with him. Now, because of this fantastic display of God's glory in this angel, this call upon Gideon's life, I think that Gideon realized that, that he was in the presence of the true living God. And so what does he do? He builds an altar to the Lord right there. And he calls this place Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. That peace, which is bigger than the peace that the world can give us, the bigger the peace than any idol in this world can give us, that peace is what goes with Gideon as he fights this battle. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, let's look at uh, Judges chapter 6. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 25. Let's see what happens right after this encounter uh, with this angel of the Lord, and he's built this altar. Verse 25, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God on top of its, on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. 
So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was bells altered, demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you going to try to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. Now, I think that it would have been very uh, knowing that Gideon probably grew up in a household uh, where he had heard some of the stories of the Lord of old. Uh, but things were different now. You see, his, his family, his friends, his town, the whole nation uh, now deserted the Lord and was worshiping idols of the people who oppressed them. And I think there's no doubt uh, that, you know, when Gideon came into the presence of the angel of the Lord, I think there was no doubt to him that these idols were no longer the true gods. There was no power in them. That this living, one true God was his God. And so here's the thing is, I think that Gideon was converted in that, in that scenario. I think that he changed. I think that he realized that that thing in his heart that he had longed for now was going to be filled in God. I think that he returned God to his rightful place. I think that the very thing that they were told to recite every single day, the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, was true. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. See, Gideon, I think, is on this mountaintop after that. And now the, now the Lord has spoken to him again and said, you need to get rid of that very thing that has ensnared you. You need to get rid of this thing that you and your family and your town and that this nation have traded for me. And I love this. One commentator wrote this this week. It's one thing to meet God in the secrecy of a wine press, but quite another to stand up for the Lord in such a public way. You see, Gideon had been hiding out. He'd been threshing the wheat in a wine press, not the place where you normally would do that. He was hiding. The Lord appears to him there, but now the Lord has told him to go and in such a very public way, make your faith known. See, I think the same is true of our conversion. It's one thing for us to, to know and to accept Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and it's yet another to take it a step further and to begin to break down those idols in our lives that we've let take the place of the Lord. It's about taking things a step further. So Gideon, with the Lord's help, he begins to break up the idols uh, and I think that he does it in, a, in the first two steps of the process. And Pastor Jonathan gave this to us uh, these last two weeks. But the first two steps are this, is that you have to name the idols and you have to claim them for what they are. You see, you've got to identify what are those idols in my life? And then you've got to see and say just how dangerous they are to you. 
God instructed the Israelites that they were not to have any other gods beside him. And that's because our hearts can only have one love. They can only worship one thing at a time. See, Baal and the Asherah, these were fertility gods. And for, for those who were in an agricultural setting, I mean, who would you not want to come and bless your crops and your cattle, right? Like, yes. But instead of the one true living God who brings blessing upon blessing and life and the one who's given us breath and the one who gives good gifts, instead of going to him, who do they go to? These man-made carved idols. The Old Testament is, is just steeped with language about how these idols are nothing but a burden. They're nothing but carved images that can't speak or hear or bless or anything. Instead, what do they do? They take and take and take. Paul understood the heart of the matter here. When he wrote this in the New Testament in Romans 1.25, he said, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. You see, I think that we live in a day and age when uh, idols aren't necessarily these little carved images that we've made or we've built big temples to them as we would think and think of the Old Testament. But what we learned about in the first week of the series is that we've allowed things to, to come into our lives and take the place of God. These deep idols, things like power and comfort and approval, and control. We've let those things take the place of God in our lives. And what happens is when we allow those things to take the place, when our devotion goes to those things, we find ourselves really just lacking satisfaction. We need the next hit to make it happen. We need the next whatever. It's never enough. We, we are left wanting. And that's because we've swapped God for a lie. We've swapped creation. We've swapped the things that God has given us as gifts for the creator himself, God himself. It's such human nature that we would take and we would take good things and misconstrue them for the ultimate thing who is God. So these idols that we've set up altars to in our hearts, they always overpromise and they always under deliver 100% of the time. God wants more for us than we've allowed him to have with us. Idols only lead us to eternal death. But here's the thing is that God leads us to life abundantly, not just in forever. He does that, yes, but he even does it now. He takes and transforms and breathes life into us, into those around us, transforming us and our lives into something beautiful. Gideon. God doesn't want him to just stop and name and claim these idols for what they are. He wants them to do something about it. And that's why we go to step three, which is you've got to tear it down. If I could put a period after each one of those, I would perfect here, right? Tear it down. That's what the Lord told Gideon to do. Gideon set aside his will and his wants, the tradition of his family to be obedient to what the Lord had called him to do, and that was to tear it down and to cut it down, get rid of the idols. What I love is God wants there to be no distinguishable like um, structure left of any of these idols. Nothing. I don't even want it to look the same. 
See, idols have no place in our hearts. We have to tear them down. We have to cut them down. And it's kind of violent sounding, right? I go, man, that's kind of violent, Lord. But what we find is whenever we get to Paul in the New Testament, we even look at Jesus in the New Testament, we said it actually is a very violent process that's supposed to happen. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, he says, put to death those things that are idolatry within us. Jesus tells us, cut it off, throw it in the sea. Man, because here's the thing is it has to be permanent. It can't be just leave a little bit of it right here and, you know, oh, it's not going to grow into anything. Oh, it always does, doesn't it? Cut it down, tear it down. You see, God's altar cannot be built if Baal's altar is still standing. We can't have it both ways. Only one can stand at a time. There cannot be competing altars in our life. God alone has to be God and king of our lives or either he's nothing at all. We can't leave any stone unturned because here's the thing is that idolatry is bound to reemerge if we do. Jesus tells us in the New Testament that we can't serve two masters at the same time. It's just impossible. And I was trying to think this week, how, do we, how, how can I get that idea across? And I thought about uh, one day, so we've got two kids, and I think about one day we're going to have sports practice and games, and they're both going to be happening at the same time, on the same day, on two separate sides of town. And how in the world are we going to get in two different places at one time, right? It's impossible. The same is true of our hearts. You can't say and love the Lord on one hand and love power and control and whatever else on the other. It's just impossible. We have to place God where he belongs. And so we have to tear down these things that we've let take the place of God in our hearts. And this Hebrew word for tear down, I love it. It carries the force of annihilate. Y'all, utterly obliterate it. Get rid of it. Let it look nothing like what it used to be. Tear down that idol. Sounds easy, right? That was, sounds easy. Yeah, not really. And I think that's why even Gideon himself was a little bit fearful, right? And I did find myself as I was reading through this going, man, Gideon, what a wimp, right? You had to do this at night. And then the Lord convicted me and said, Hunter, but I think you need to take a look at your own life. Because oftentimes we do let fear drive us. And motivate us to not do the things that we're told to do by the Lord. You see, here's the thing about Gideon is that even though he might have done it in the night, he was still obedient. He was still obedient. And as we tear down the idols in our lives, fear may be a part of what we feel at times, but we have an all-sufficient God who gives us peace and he honors our obedience so here's the thing about obedience, is that obedience leads to knowing and trusting God more. There's this thrill that comes whenever we're obedient to God. You're like, I'm not real sure, is he going to come through? Uh, what's what's going to happen on the other end of this? But here's the thing, is that when you submit yourself to the Lord, to what he's called you to do, you begin to, to know him more. And to trust him more. You begin to see a side of God that he does prove himself faithful even whenever you're not sure that he will. You find your life being changed and transformed in better ways than you ever could have imagined or come up on your own. 
It's all because it started with one step of obedience to what the Lord had called. And here's the thing. You know that sin cycle? There's an obedience cycle too. I think that whenever you're obedience once and you see the fruit of that, you see the blessing that comes from that, the reward that comes from that, it'll lead you to be obedient again and again and again because we have a wonderful, loving God. He loves you. He longs to have that place in your heart that only he can fill. And so we need to tear down the idols. We need to cut them down. What are they in your life? Do you need to cancel that subscription? Do you need to stop frequenting that place? Maybe you don't need to call them back anymore. Maybe you need to put the phone down or delete that app. Maybe you need to stay off that forum. Maybe you need to not sign back up next year. Maybe it's time to take that pay cut to sell that thing. Maybe let your family have the freedom and say that they deserve. Be obedient to God. Be obedient to God. Tear down the shallow and those deep idols that we've let take his place in our hearts. You see, we can tear down the idols because of Jesus Christ. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, I'm going to send one to you that will help you obey. That's that's the Holy Spirit. That's what was lacking in the life of the Israelites. There wasn't yet a time when the Holy Spirit would come and dwell in their hearts, allowing them to follow the Lord. But friends, we are so fortunate, so fortunate, this side of the cross, to have God's presence with us, Jehovah Shalom, with us, allowing us, empowering us to break down these idols so that we don't have to stay on that sin cycle, but instead we can jump on the obedience cycle and live the life that he's called and created us to have. It's the work that the Holy Spirit does through us that helps us to hack down the idols in our lives. But yet again, we can't stop there, which leads to the fourth step So you've got to name your idols and you've got to claim them for what they are. Step three was tear it down. And now step four, you have to replace the idols for good. For good, period. You can't just replace them for a little while. You've got to replace them for good. Our hearts long and desire to have something to love. We can't not love and worship something. It's just part of our nature. It's who God created us to be. And that's why Gideon, he, he's instructed to build an altar to the Lord in the spot that, that these idols used to be. We have to replace the idols in our lives with Jesus. He's the one that our hearts truly long after. And he's the only one who can fill this desire that we have. He's the only one that can lead us to the life that we've been created for. You see, the Israelites, they would go on to win uh, deliverance over the Midianites because of Gideon's Gideon's obedience uh, to God. But because they don't keep God in the rightful place in their lives, idolatry soon crept back in and they found themselves serving yet another nation so far from the life that God intended for them. You see, here's the thing is that God sometimes let us have what we want 
And if we've settled for a deception in our heart of something other than God, he, he may just let you have that. But it's not what his heart is. He desires and he longs to give you good things. We have to make sure that we've replaced these idols in our lives with God for good. Now, I've been following Jesus for several uh, years at this point in my life, and yet uh, it's always good for me to say, Lord, what is it in my life that I have let take that place of you? And I came across this very convicting quote uh, this week that I think helps us understand why it's so important for us to replace the idols in our lives. It's because your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. Let's just let this one sit for a second. Your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. How does your daily life and habits line up with that of being God as your deepest desire? I'll argue that if you're committed to tearing down the idols in your life, then you need to replace it with God by practicing worship. And that's done through the practice of spiritual disciplines. See, a good athlete doesn't get there overnight, right? He conditions, he trains, he spends time crafting good form and technique. And that prepares him for the demands of the game. But he also learns the game, right? He gets in that mindset before the big match. And most importantly, he follows the direction of his coach. See, by practicing the spiritual disciplines, what happens is we begin to think like, act like, and love like Jesus more and more than we ever had before. We take our hearts that have worshipped other things and we begin to uh, change the trajectory of our lives. We begin to uh, worship God again as he would have us do. And it's only if we've really discovered that our deepest desire is Jesus as Lord and King of our life, then our daily habits then have to begin to match up to that. So here's the thing about spiritual disciplines is that instead of uh, the worship of those things that drain us, see, here's the thing about idols is they take and take and take. Instead of worshiping those things that drain us and are truly there just to ensnare us and destroy us, God uses the spiritual disciplines to pour life into us, to give us meaning and purpose and direction and peace and true satisfaction. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about with these spiritual disciplines, I'm talking about making a conscious effort to join us every week for worship, for corporate worship. See, there's something beautiful about that happens in a room like this. When we come together, when we worship, when we hear the word, God's spirit moves. And when we practice worship as a spiritual discipline, we're expectant to see the Holy Spirit move. We're expectant to hear the voice of God speak to us. That's a way of replacing an idol. Another discipline is, is prayer. Going to the Lord, taking your request to him in prayer. See, Jesus sits at the throne room of God, interceding on our behalf. Friends, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have access to God. Every time you come to him, 
taking your heartache, your frustrations, your anxiety, your worry, your depression, whatever it is, your praises. He hears them and he begins to act every single time. That idol that we've placed in our hearts other than God, it doesn't hear you. It doesn't move. It doesn't act. It doesn't care. But God does. When we come to God's word, when we open it up, when we hear his voice, when we see how he has moved in the past, what he wants to do in the present, what he's going to do in the future, friends, that gives us hope to live today. It's beautiful. Why do we neglect these things? And there's so many other spiritual disciplines that would help us put God rightfully in his place on our hearts, the throne of our hearts, the altar of our hearts. You see, it's through these practices that we discover that Jesus is more sufficient, more loving, more beautiful than anything else that we may deceptively desire. Fears replaced with joy and contentment, addiction replaced with freedom, division replaced with unity, anxiety replaced with peace, exhaustion replaced with rest. And I know that seems so cliche, and if you've been in church a while, you're probably like, Hunter, you're telling us stuff that we already know. But friends, it is so simplistic, yet we miss it almost every time. So I want to ask one thing of you this morning. I don't want you to miss out on this life that God wants for you. I don't want you to fall back into that, that idol worship. I want you to fall into love with God. And I want you to commit to this. How would you finish this statement? This week, in place of the idols that I'm tearing down, I'm going to begin practicing blank. What is that? What are you going to begin practicing? Find it. Do it. Commit to it. Talk to your family about it when you go to lunch today. Find accountability uh, with the person sitting next to you or your friend across the street, whatever, whoever it might be. Find a way to get encouraged, to tear it down, and to replace it with God for good. And if you don't know where to begin, if you have no one in your life who can do that, reach out to one of us here on staff. We're, we're happy to, to help you in whatever way. So as we wrap up this series, I want you to know this, friends. Our hearts are important. Our hearts are important. King Solomon, he encourages us in Proverbs 4.23 that we should, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What the heart wants is, is not always actually what our heart needs. And so we need to guard our hearts, return our hearts to the Lord, break up with the idols. And I know that we'll find above all else that there's nothing better than Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than Jesus Christ to take all of our devotion, all of our worship of our hearts and our lives, because he's the one that we truly desire. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we have it to look to, to know truth, Lord. We're grateful that because of it, we know grace. And so, Father, we pray 
that you would use these words, you would use this challenge, Lord, to move us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would know the idols in our lives, that we would claim how dangerous they are to us. Lord, that we would be moved by your help to tear them down. And Lord, that we wouldn't stop there, but that we would replace them. We would replace them with the practices of worshiping you. Father, you are God and God alone. Help us to put you back in your place in our lives, that we may be your people and for your glory. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. I want to invite you, if you would like to pray, you can come down and pray at the rails. Uh, you can call me or Susanna over if you'd like us to pray with you. You can pray in your seats. You can pray in your kitchen, wherever you might be. But take this time to go to the Lord, to surrender yourselves to him. Let's be obedient people this week. Let's sing together if you'll stand.